You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. A little bit of a landmark, this is our 20th episode. It feels mad that we've done 20 of these already. It has absolutely flown by, but we've uh, we've all thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I'm Johnston, and I've got uh, Mansour with me today. Hello. Uh, and we are here to talk about um, certainly what's one of my absolute favourite uh, Big Finish ranges, uh, it's Gallifrey. Uh, we're specifically going to focus on the first three series today. We'll return to the rest of it in the future. Our spoiler warning will cover all of Gallifrey uh, Big Finish. Uh, we're also going to talk about some early Eighth Doctor adventures as well. So the spoilers the spoilers have been warned. Um, so Mansell, let's get started. Just sort of quick question. What would you say your favourite era, because there's been a few now really, it's been a long running series, what would you say your favourite era of Gallifrey at Big Finish is? I think, I think we're in agreement on this, that it's the, the, the one we're going to focus on today, which is series one to three, um, which was kind of the original run, because there was a huge chunk of time that went by between series three and four. Um so yeah, yeah. For me, one to three is like my favorite iteration. But the I probably put the time war stuff after that, um, and then the bit in between. So series four through to eight uh, had some good stuff in it, but was a, perhaps a bit more up and down, where it was kind of finding its feet again after a bit of a break. Uh, yeah, I mean, total agreement with you that sort of series one to three are, I mean, there's something special, really. I'd, I'd, I'd sort of very comfortably say that they are my favourite thing to listen to from Big Finish. Uh, I've always been a bit of a Gallifrey geek. My favourite story on telly is The Deadly Assassin. Um, and I do, I know a lot of people find it boring. It's not for everybody. And it's sort of, a lot of people think, oh, it's just politics and all that kind of thing. I I find Gallifrey still thoroughly interesting, and I, I think the Time Lords as a society, um, uh, there are some very strong individual characters there as well. It's just very very interesting. Um, I f- would agree with you that I think that Time War sort of comes second to those first few series. But if I'm honest, there's there's not a single Gallifrey release that I don't like. There's there's never been a Gallifrey where I've come away. And thought, oh, I wanted a bit more from that. So yeah, I yeah. do thoroughly enjoy I, it. I think like series four, four, five, six, when it came back, um, maybe it was just an adjustment because I think I was expecting or hoping for more of the same in terms of style from series one, two, three. Uh, so yeah, maybe it was partly my expectations, but I wasn't quite as blown away by. Uh, those first few box sets, I, I probably haven't listened to them in a in a decade or two, so I should probably revisit them before uh, giving any strong opinions on them. I, I mean, I think I came to Gallifrey about the time the fourth set came out, so okay. I think I heard one, two, three, and four as at the time what was a whole piece that was Gallifrey. Um. And I have to admit that on that very first listen, when I got to four, the the change in the direction did kind of sort of catch me off guard, really. Okay, this is very different. Now it's gone to a very, well, literally did go to a different place, didn't it? That's the nature of the set. Um, But yeah, it was something different. But I have found on subsequent re-listens that I've 
actually enjoyed uh, four, five, and six a lot more. And it, it, there's definitely a build there. Um, each set's quite different. Um, but by by the time you get to series six, there's there's been a sort of nice story and that is wrapped up. Um, and obviously series six, you get Daleks. And there's a lot of stuff that links back to um, sort of the the early Gallifrey, re- well, not early Gallifrey releases, the pre-Gallifrey releases, let's call them. So Apocalypse Element and Neverland. Um, there's a lot of stuff that links back there because obviously Romana has a score to settle with the Daleks. So yeah, it, it's there's a lot there to enjoy still, but I'd... I'd like I say, I agree with you. Those first three series are incredibly good, incredibly high quality. It, it does nicely, like chunk up into different eras. So, like, there's yeah, one to three that we're going to talk about. Then there's yeah, four, five, six, and then seven or eight are kind of it's kind of like a sort of interstitial between because it's like two shorter stories, isn't it? Um, yeah, kind it's, of follow I, I, one from six. I think those to those seven and eight they're actually a little bit they're not not so much experimental but they're certainly Gallifrey finding new feet finding a new direction to go in and new things to try and yeah um, yeah we're, we're getting I'm, into I'm spoilers sure for we'll, the, the later ones but like yeah I, I almost felt like there was a direction they were going to go in and then they kind of wound it back it felt like um yeah, in terms of like new yeah, characters that were introduced, I, I I would have liked to see, and would still actually quite like to see something set between Enemy Lines and the Time War because there's a definite, there's still a gap there. Yeah, uh, you get the sense that Braxiatel knows it's coming, and but you always get a sense that Braxiatel <laughs> knows more about what's going on than he lets on. Um. And uh, yeah, it it did feel as though there could have been some interesting Braxiatel related stuff there. But at the same time, there's a lot of interesting Braxiatel related stuff uh, around Big Finish. Um, yeah, yeah, that was one of my notes. Listening to one in one through to three, because um, yeah, it's like to get his story, you must have to listen to all of Gallifrey and Gallifrey Time War, and then all of Bernice Summerfield, because. Yeah, again, without spoiling anything for people who don't know, there are definite links between his story across those ranges. And and they're not straightforward in terms of what order things happen in and which versions of characters you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I'm working my way through Benny as we speak at the moment. I'm sort of mid what's known as the box set era. Mm-hmm. Um which I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying, and Braxiatel's just sort of come back into it after quite an absence, really. Um, and it's it's a different version of the character, and it's it's not quite been explained how that works yet. So I'm enjoying it though, and I, and I do think Braxiatel's a fantastic character. We'll talk about him a little bit more as we plod through the series, but um, I think yeah, he... his his presence in Gallifrey definitely does make a difference. Yeah, he's not even, as I was, I was thinking, listening to this first few series, that he's not in every episode, but you feel his presence. He's like this, well, he's behind the scenes a lot of the time. Um, yeah, and he's yeah, certainly the uh, an influence. But, um, all right, well, let's let's go on to uh, the first series, Gallifrey Series 1, uh, which began with Weapon of Choice. Um Personally, I would say of the three series, it's probably the weakest. But I think that's because it's establishing things. It's a brand new spin-off. It's finding its feet. Um, and it's sort of carrying the weight of uh, Neverland and Zagreus as well. Um, it's kind of spawned out of those. Well, yeah, like Neverland, is, it's kind of, it's almost like a pilot for the series that then became Gallifrey. Because was was it some... This might have been Big Finish's first spin-off. I don't know if Sarah... Was Sarah Jane before this? Um, uh, it's definitely think, one of the first. Oh, I'm going to look this up while we talk. <laughs> I 
it was like it was at a point when you know we were just getting used to the novelty of having performed Doctor Who on audio again, and then like the concept of a spin-off was was like really novel and exciting um and not to say it's not exciting today but like you know we have how many different spin-off ranges active at the moment um a from few. big finish <laughs> one or two <laughs> yeah um yeah it's i can appreciate that i you know i really wasn't around with big finish at the time um i was um like I say, it was around sort of the time of Gallifrey Series 4 that I properly jumped on with Big Finish. Um, and I do think that really having a spin-off series sort of back there. 2004, by the way, Gallifrey started. Yeah, so um, just before... Sarah Jane was 2002. Okay, so Sarah Jane was first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, around then... Um, I definitely sort of hadn't discovered Big Finish yet and all that sort of thing. But I do remember reading about Gallifrey sort of as it was released in Doctor Who magazine and sort of thinking, ooh, I wouldn't mind giving that a listen, Romana and Leela, what they did after the Doctor, that sounds thoroughly interesting. Um, And it did take quite a few years for me to go back to it, but I'm really glad I did. Um, Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that like, the TV show went to Gallifrey, but like not that often. Um, so it was kind of this intriguing thing that hadn't been delved into that deeply. Uh, yeah, so, we'd, yeah, we'd receive more sort of hints about um, what Gallifrey was like, what life on Gallifrey was like and how it functioned as a society. Uh, but we you never get a clear view of that in Doctor Who. Um, I, th- I suppose Arc of Infinity maybe is the closest we get. It sort of features Time Lords finishing for the day and you know getting ready to go home from work. That's yeah. probably the most we got to see of it, actually. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was strangely unexplored territory. Um and the other thing is we'd only ever seen Gallifrey when the Doctor was there. And if the Doctor was there, chances are it was you know, a period of upheaval. Um, so again, it, it, yeah. we never got to see it without the Doctor, and that's what the series Gallifrey enables us to do. Um, yeah, and it's like, it's, like it's, it's genuinely like a spin-off where it's not a case of like a Doctor proxy who's kind of having Doctor-like adventures, it genuinely feels like something different, whether you like it or not. It's The format is different from the main show. Yeah, completely. Um, but as you say, it's it sort of the idea of Gallifrey did get introduced in what was at that point the closest we had to continuing Doctor Who, which was uh, Paul McGann's second full series. You know, the finale was Neverland and The Bean hints of Time Lord things happening uh, throughout that series, but it really was Neverland where, obviously, that sort of properly occurred and uh, the Eighth Doctor was reunited with Romana and they go off and have their adventure. And it's it's a big story for Vansell as well, who um, had been sort of lurking since, well, ever since Sirens of Time uh, in Big Finish. Yeah, like um, Narvin's almost like. So if if Neverland is the pilot, then Narvin's almost the replacement for Vansell initially in terms of like filling a certain like a similar space. Like he turns into a very different character, but he's he's kind of in that same area at the start of. Um, yeah, the sort of petty political antagonist. Yeah. Um, and Narvin is a very, very interesting character in terms of what they've done with them. I mean, we talked about this, well, I talked about this on the uh, Short Trips episode we did a few weeks ago where he really does go through a development and it's gradual and it's something that you have to start with weapon of choice and finish, I suppose, now at the end of the time war to fully appreciate. Um, and I'm very glad he's coming back in the war room set 
the first War Room set, which is due yeah. for release imminently. In fact, by the time this is out, it might already have been released. Um, it's almost like we're tying this to an upcoming release. <laughs> Would you believe it? Um, Neverland itself, I think it's an excellent story. I, I love it. I think it's the, the perfect sort of Doctor Who season finale. It's big, it's over the top, it's epic, and it introduces a threat that, you know, genuinely does sort of put Gallifrey and the Time Lords in a level of jeopardy that we've probably never actually seen before. Yeah. Um, and we get to see Romana being absolutely brilliant as the president, and this is the first time we see her actually as the president being the president yes she's an apocalypse element but she's prisoner for the first half and there's another president in place that's replaced her for a good chunk of it so this is this is when we first see president romana kind of at the height of her powers uh what are your thoughts on neverland yeah i like it it was i remember at the time like being really uh invested in the the paul mcgann range because it was that ongoing performed new strand of doctor who um so yeah and then it was like doubly exciting because it was that kind of season finale feel like you say i'll also like like both with neverland and zagreus um again to tie it into the novels that were around at the time it's kind of like it's not like tying into them in a really explicit way but it's drawing on a lot of elements um and and also just well the fact that they don't do romana's return from e-space which had been done in the books, there was this kind of like implicit suggestion that they, they are following the same continuity. Um, and, th- and then again, like not explicitly tying in, but there's a, there's a related thing in the books about um, presenting Rassilon as a, as a villain or a bit more morally ambiguous, um, which the new series has really run with as well. But uh but yeah, so that all the stuff in Zagreus kind of reminded me of the books as well and, and sort of felt like, oh yeah, this could all be one big story, which, uh, yeah, which felt exciting as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's It really did feel as though it was building somewhere in Neverland and Zagreus. I mean, it, it's one leads into the other. The cliffhanger at the end of Neverland is just somewhere else, isn't it? I can't imagine sort of being there at the time and waiting, was it 18 months, something like that, for the resolution uh, to the cliffhanger at the end of Neverland? Yeah, it would have been, because the, yeah, like the second series of McGann Audios kind of came out month by month. And, yeah, then I think it was quite a big gap till it's a grace. Um, so, yeah, I just, I can't even begin to imagine sort of waiting for that revolution, knowing that, I mean, I think Neverland, is it released 32, 33, something like that? Obviously, Zagreus is 50. Um, that's that's a big gap. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's I, I like what it does. And, you know, Zagreus has been talked about a million times. There are those that love it. There are those that hate it. It's quite rightly a divisive story. It does do something extremely different with the multi-doctor anniversary celebration format uh, but the most important thing I find Zagreus does is it moves the narrative of the eighth doctor forward um, and it, it sort of it takes the eighth doctor out of our universe and our time and one of the big things that obviously the first few series of Gallifrey launch with is there's no doctor this is a universe without the doctor now um, yeah. and that's yeah. his absence is sort of not heavily felt but it's definitely felt throughout those first few series of Gallifrey Romana and Leela obviously discuss it and there are a few oh what if the Doctor was here this wouldn't be happening kind of moments um, and I yeah. quite like that actually I quite like the sort of the realisation by Gallifrey and society or parts of it that actually they quite they relied on the Doctor quite a bit. Um, he was their problem solver. Um, a similar thing with like, um, uh, not exactly the same, but similar with like Torchwood Children of Earth. I think Gwen's got a, a monologue or a, a bit of dialogue where she talks about the Doctor explicitly and how he's, he's not coming to help. 
Um, yeah, which kind of really raises the stakes because yeah, he's just he's not going to just turn up and save thing save everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, I agree. It's um, it is quite strange when you know the big thing obviously about a spin off is the Doctor's not there, and they kind of have to justify his absence in some cases. You know, he saved Earth forty nine times. Why is this the fiftieth that he's chosen not to? Um, and it is the same with Gallifrey in that first series. Uh, the series itself, series one, uh, as I've said before, it's kind of, of the three series that we're discussing, I would definitely say it's the weakest. But I think that's because it's partly working out what it wants to be. It's finding its feet. Um, and in some ways, it's sort of slightly nervous about stepping too far outside of um, well, outside of Doctor Who, which is why in the last episode, for example, we have Charlie's sister as a character uh, played by India Fisher. Um, yeah, we it's... we do. Although it's like it's it's quite a, a, a sort of weird novel. Like they don't just have Charlie turn up; they have her Nazi sympathising sister turn up, and she isn't really redeemed and it ends with a suicide i think that's like the closing moments of the episode so so yeah there's maybe that kind of like oh we have to put some returning elements in but yeah it's kind of it feels different from just having a companion turn up or yeah it, it, it's certainly not romana and Leela are coincidentally in the same place as someone that used to travel with the doctor or whatever yeah uh, Cecilia is a very, very separate character um, from from her sister. Very different character, um, and it, it's. I mean, I like that episode of Blind Eye. I think it's very interesting. Um, but it, it's yeah, the first series. It it feels like there's a an overall story kind of bubbling under, but they are four very, I'd say, distinct episodes. Um. Which... I think that's all right. Like, no, oh yeah, agreed. Doesn't it doesn't really get going. It hits its full stride in two and three, but in a way that kind of works because you're taking the first few episodes to set up the characters and the dynamics, and then really pushing the plot forward with series two. Yeah, there's a case of sort of moving the pieces to where they need to be on the board, and you know, yeah. it establishes Narvin in his antagonistic role and sort of sets up and solves the mystery of where is Andred Leela's husband disappeared to and what's going on there. Um it, it shows us that Romana's rule of Gallifrey isn't isn't simple. It, she does have political enemies all over the place. It's a very backstabby environment. Um it establishes that Braxiatel's a little bit dodgy. Um it brings sort of the Inquisitor, Inquisitor Darkle into it and kind of gives her a little bit to do uh one of the most interesting things i find about uh darkly she's fairly she's fairly neutral in this first series she's sort of she's the inquisitor from trial of the time lord and no more no less um and it's only later series that actually start to develop her um quite dramatically yeah which kind of works i think like because it's it's almost like, and it's kind of got this modern resonance as well of like populism and right-wing politics because there's that whole strand running through the series about xenophobia on Gallifrey, basically. Um, so it kind of makes sense that she would kind of present that more cautious, friendly face in series one. But then when she sees an opportunity to grab power, the, the mask kind of slips and you see a lot more of the sort of unpleasant side of her in series two and three. It's by the end of series three, um, well, by the time she's killed towards the end of series three, she's one of the great Doctor Who antagonists. Yeah. Um, and it's a huge transformation. I think it's a really interesting thing to do with an established character. Um, not only that, actually, an established past regular you know she was in every episode of trial of a time lord a full series it's fair to refer to her as a doctor who regular i won't go as far as companion but 
you see my point. Um, yeah, she's in as many or, or more episodes than Sarah Kingdom, isn't she? Uh, considerably more. Well, she's in the full yeah. 14 of Trial, isn't she? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. There are characters we refer to as companions that are in fewer episodes, have less screen time. Um, but I, you know, it's, I, I liked her in Trial, but in Trial she was completely a neutral character. Um, she was just there to do her job, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, I quite like the fact that the further we move into Gallifrey, um, the less neutral she becomes as a character. Um, and it's I think it's yeah. one of the first scenes of the second series, actually, where she kind of plants her flag in the ground and goes, right, I hate Romana and I am going to drive her out. Um, yeah, but it, like the, and the, like the the timing is very deliberate though. It's like when when it advantages her, that's when she comes out and says that. Yeah, um, but yeah, absolutely brilliant villain. Um, but like I say, in this first series, quite quite neutral. Um, but yeah, the first series it does establish an awful lot. Uh, it establishes free time, and they sort of run throughout the. Uh, first three series and actually the effects of what they do run through until the end of the sixth series so that's a sort of very long running storyline um it's it's just nice that everything gets laid out there so by the time we go into series two and the i suppose main story of these three series of gallifrey really begins to unfold all the pieces are on the board. We know exactly who they are. We know, for the most part, what their motivations are uh, and who they will and won't betray. Um, so we then move into the second series. And in, I feel as though the first episode of the second series, uh, which is Lies, uh, all of a sudden the stakes just skyrocket. That very first episode, everything just kind of gets going and I think from that point onwards, that's it. It's Gallifrey is off and it's huge and it's this all-encompassing continuing story um, with some very, very strong characters that are absolutely great to listen to. Um, I also think Series 2 is where it really starts to use uh, sort of the ensemble to its advantage you do have, you know, lots of little allegiances being made and broken between these this sort of ever expanding cast. I mean, by the end of the third series, it's a huge regular cast, isn't it? Uh, it's perhaps the biggest we've ever seen in anything Big Finish, actually. Yeah. When you consider the yeah. number of recurring characters. And again, that's a big thing that distinguishes it from Doctor Who as a format. Like, okay, yes, uh, you know. More recently, the companions have been given equal weight, but throughout much of its history, like the Doctor was the main character, um, and yeah, this is like almost the exact opposite, having a huge, well-drawn cast, and and like you were saying just then, the the, the relationships and the allegiances and conflicts between those people is really key as well. It it reminds me of my favourite Star Trek, which is Deep Space Nine. And again, like a lot of the great stuff about Deep Space Nine is huge extended cast and really interesting character arcs and ambiguous relationships that shift from you know antagonists to to allies and, and all of that. And yeah, Gallifrey's got loads of that as well. Yeah, um, and it's, you know, you get to know various guards and castellans and characters like that, which you never would in anything else. I mean, I think Deep Space Nine is an absolutely fantastic comparison. Um, you know, you have characters, like Deep Space Nine has Garak, doesn't it? Fantastic character. Um, I suppose the nearest thing Gallifrey has to Garak will perhaps be Braxiatel. Brax, yeah. Uh, oh, another similarity between DS9 and Gallifrey is, yeah, those the when it starts, it's not quite as full on in terms of the arc taking off and 
is kind of more just doing standalone stories and then it kind of hits its stride uh, and gets into it. Like in DS9's case, I think around season three or four. Um, yeah, with Gallifrey around season two. Yeah. Um, season two does still have that sort of... Well, it's an episode that sort of starts out as seems to be disconnected from everything else, but then as it goes on it, obviously the storyline kind of pulls it back in. Is that, that spirit? Is spirit, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, like, I, I, I did quite like that because, okay, one thing, like, Lana Ward is really good in Gallifrey, but I do feel like her character is always because of events is always pushed into this space where she's like irritated or grumpy or angry. And it's such a difference looking at her character on TV where there was this lightness and, uh, and a bit more joy to it. So I, I do like those moments when she's outside Gallifrey and she can bring a few more of those lighter notes back to the character. Um, so I like that about spirit that she's in like a different setting for a bit. And, um, yeah, it's, it's having a bit of fun with Leela at one point as well. Yeah, and it, it just lets, well, I would say Romana and Leela be themselves, but it also lets them be each other. And I think it's a really interesting um, sort of way of looking at those characters because they're two very, very different characters. Uh, one is a Time Lord and one is... You know, a, a savage, a savage that's had a lot of experience by this point, but nevertheless, is still very, uh, to quote the doctor, instinct and intuition. Um, yeah, I think like Leela, they do a good job throughout these three series of um, of, ma- of like making the distinction between uh, knowledge and intelligence, and like Leela doesn't have all the, uh, you know eons of knowledge that the Time Lords have. Um, but she's intelligent, she's got leadership skills, she's uh, so much so that she becomes a really valued and important member of Romana's team. Um, so I think she's got a nice arc over over Gallifrey as a whole of, yeah, just demonstrating that, um, yeah, like there is that difference between... Uh, having existing power and privilege and then actually having intelligence and value. And there are some absolutely excellent points where Leela completely plays down her her sort of intelligence and maturity and sort of enables or forces perhaps people to underestimate her so she can very easily get one over on them. Um, and that's I, I absolutely love that. I think it's that really is playing to the strengths of a character like Leela. Like, was it end of series two where you have the university stuff and she's like a a tutor or professor briefly? Uh, I think so. Yes. Like I would have. I know. I know. Like it's it's kind of nice that the plot has got a lot of pace and it, it's kind of rattling through. But I almost would have liked to have seen her in that position for a bit longer. Um, but yeah, yeah I thought that was an interesting change. Obviously, due to everything that's going on in the series, um, that kind of gets undermined pretty quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's I'd I'd like to have seen seen her do a bit more than that because uh, it, the scenes where you know the students think that she's not worth listening to, but then ten seconds later she's again completely outwitted them. Stuff like that's absolutely great, and that's that's how the character of Leela thrives, really. Um, being the smartest person in the room without without trying, I suppose, and without needing the validation of that. Um, so the final episode of the second series, uh, which is Pandora... No, it's not. It's Imperiatrix, isn't it? the final episode of the second series. Um, it's it's a big episode. It's, it's a big sort of epic episode. And it it doesn't get credit for doing something pretty mad that it does. It kills off a classic Doctor Who companion, which obviously is a fairly big thing. It's K-9 Mark One gets 
gets killed. That's it. No more canine Mark One. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that was just for like simplicity of not having two identical sounding canines in an audio story. But I, I quite liked the the sort of interplay between them that we got briefly earlier in the series. Because I, I, I don't know if I'm imagining it, but I think John Leeson shifts his performance a little bit and that Romana's canine is a little bit more more snooty and condescending. And Leela's canine is sounds to me like a little bit more like naive and friendly. I, I, I might just definitely. be projecting... No, I think there's definitely something yeah. there. Absolutely, okay. um, I, do, I do love just little bits like uh, Romana's canine referring to Leela's as the inferior canine unit <laughs> and that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, bitchy canine, love it. I, I would happily have a spin-off of a spin-off, like the, the two canines or the three canines, where they just yeah go off on adventures together and bitched about each other. <laughs> It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? You yeah, could, which you it... could call it Canine and Company. Oh no, that's been done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I do. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it was slightly mad, but such a great idea to actually establish the series as having two canines, um, having John Leeson play both. And like you say, there's definitely sort of subtle differences there. And uh, I mean, it, even on screen on TV, the two canines are. I find, anyway, uh, distinct characters. Um, and, you know, the way K9 interacts with Romana and the way K9 interacts with Leela, assuming that K9 is the kind of robot that learns and develops and becomes friends with its master or mistress, then yes, you would expect K9 Mark I to develop quite differently to K9 Mark II. Yeah, start mirroring their owners. Um and yeah, I like that. Uh, it's like you say, it's very subtle. It's, but it's. I agree that it's definitely there. Um, but yeah, Canine uh, Mark One dies in a sort of blaze of glory uh, towards the end of uh, the second series, the final episode of the second series. And I just, I, I absolutely love those scenes and Leela's sort of absolute dismay at losing her canine. Um, yeah. it's it's just absolutely fantastic. It's so well played. It's so well written and produced. And and she talks about like all the things she's lost, and she lists like K nine alongside Android and the Doctor as like you know these people who meant so much to her. Yeah, uh, but you know when you think about it, K nine was her last link to the Doctor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's like I say, it's just a marvelously played uh, piece and I think it's really well handled really well done but I'm never ever ever going to step down from saying Gallifrey kills a classic Doctor Who companion, <laughs> it's true it does um, and it ends on a pretty heavy cliffhanger as if death to canine wasn't enough um, this evil sort of godlike president from the past that happens to look like Romana's previous regeneration appears and takes over Gallifrey and starts a civil war and it looks like Romana's canine uh, is going to obey Pandora instead um, yeah, I quite like the reasoning whole, behind that yeah, now, the whole Pandora character was like another like nice decision I think because like, they could have just done the two Romanas and had uh, you know, Romana one meets Romana two, and there's some one-off adventure. But th the way they tie this in to why Pandora looks like Romana one, and why there's this history there, um, yeah, I thought that was really creative and a good way to get Mary Tam back, but do something interesting with it as well. And you know, Mary Tam. Very sadly, we never got enough Mary Tam at Big Finish. Mm. She was absolutely fantastic. She was great in Companion Chronicles. She was phenomenal in Gallifrey. And I'm so glad we got that one series of uh, her with Tom Baker in the Fourth Doctor Adventures. But yeah, it, it's a really, really interesting character for her to play here. And, you know, definitely Romana, but definitely not Romana at the same time. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love it. And I'm glad that 
the whole sort of Pandora Civil War storyline gets a couple of episodes to breathe in the third series, it could very easily have just sort of been one episode, that's it, cliffhanger evolved, let's get back to uh, resolved, sorry. Let's get back to uh, what Darkle's doing. But no, it's it's hugely well played and uh, definitely the kind of thing that I'd want to see for... Um, well, for the characters, really, for, you know, the second Romana and for Pandora. It's such an interesting take. And like you say, it would have been so easy for them to do the two Romanas. But instead, we get something completely different and quite out there. Yeah. And um, then if they had carried on, like, aping Doctor Who, that that's probably the direction they would have gone in. But again, they, they went for something different. Yeah, and it, it pays off. There's no doubt about it. Um... So the third series of Gallifrey, which is, you know, by this point, um, Brax is no longer a regular character. Brax kind of left. It was fairly early on in season two, actually, wasn't it? Was it the third yeah. episode, I think? Uh, uh, even earlier. Yeah, it feels like he's not around for much of season two. Um, I think it was Pandora, which is the third episode. Okay. Um which is when we find out who the character from Spirit was, the character that had come back in time. and um, Yeah, Braxiatel is forced to leave Gallifrey um, thanks to a bit of backstabbing on Narvin and Dark Hell's part sort of in disgrace. Um, and the sort of, that's, that's quite significant. It's a significant moment because despite everything, despite Braxiatel as a character, he was definitely an ally of Romana's for the most part. So Romana did lose a very influential ally there. So we're going to series three with she's not really the president anymore. There's a civil war going on. Um, and I love that sort of two-parter that sort of covers the civil war and Pandora's reign over Gallifrey. Um and then it does, yeah. it clears up and immediately we're thrown back into all of the other storylines that are going on, the free time stuff, the Dark Hells plotting stuff and all that kind of thing. Um, I'd say the most in, um, important thing that happens at this point, though, is that during the Civil War, Narvin comes up Team Romana instead of Team Pandora. And this is when we really start to see that shift in his character. Yeah, and that shift is interesting, the way it happens, because it's not just suddenly like a kind of heroic moment of, like, I'm going to do the right thing. He's got kind of quite, well, at least at first, quite a kind of logical, pragmatic thing of like, well, she's still technically president, therefore I have to be loyal to her. Uh, and I think there's more to it later, but that's almost the reasoning he gives himself or other people to start with. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's certainly the point where I think they start to become not necessarily friends, but allies to an extent. Yeah. Um, and that that really, really does develop over the course of the third series. And then, you know, by the moving a little bit ahead of what we're actually discussing today, but by the fourth series, they are sort of, they're more than allies. They are starting to move into friendship territory. But um, yeah, it's it's so interesting to see how Narvin's character evolves throughout these three series. Yeah. Um, and so we we move forward uh, past the past the Civil War and into what feels like endless, repetitive scenes actually of arguments about who's the president that day. <laughs> they are endless. They are repetitive, but they're bloody entertaining and gripping it's i do find it thoroughly just sort of interesting how what on paper could actually come across quite boring can really be sort of entertaining stuff um, it's kind of extrapolating from a lot of what we've seen before with like the sort of fustiness and um uh like the kind of little glimpses of time lord culture that we've had it's just kind of really running with that of like how they're obsessed with rules and ceremony and process and loopholes and all of that so 
Yeah, yeah. I liked it as well. And every character jumps through about five loopholes to get their way. <laughs> um, and it's, but yeah, as you say, it's perfect. It just completely sums up this old bureaucratic society that with a load of rules that just don't make sense or function yeah. um, together at all. And it, it's, you get the impression that it's really Gallifrey is a system based on honour. You know, the person will do the right thing and step down if they're in the wrong, um, which is, it's alarmingly sounds like UK politics today, really, doesn't it, in some ways? Well, no, I was going yeah, to say, like, a lot that element, but also, like I was saying earlier, like the whole thing about Dark Hell being a bit of a populist or opportunist, um, yeah, there's loads of resonance with politics today that seems that, yeah, is just like it, either coincidence or was really forward-looking. Well, I was about to say, it's quite interesting how actually this stuff was made nearly 20 years ago now, and it's... Yeah it's more relevant today than it probably was at the time it came out actually um but yeah it's it's a testament to sort of how good a series it is like you say it probably was quite forward looking um but yeah it's it at no point does it really portray any time lords as in the right or as good people or you know even romana has her faults and we really do see those faults here and she does cross yeah. lines and she does come across as a very unpleasant character at times. She's always the hero with the piece, but... Yeah, both personally and politically, she makes mistakes. That's just making me think of just like a side note, like there was another Doctor Who big finish story at the time, The Fearmonger, um, which again felt like this kind of very sci-fi dystopian thing of like, uh, you know, politics taking a real swerve to the right uh, in the future. Um, and then if that story was released today, you'd think it was quite, um, you'd think it was directly inspired by current events, a lot of it. I, I did listen to The Fearmonger fairly recently because it's going to get mentioned in an upcoming episode of this podcast. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's listening to it. I was kind of thinking, was this really sort of released in, was it 99, 2000, something like that? Because it's one of the first, like yeah. really, really early in like, the main range. Blimey, it's hit the 2022 nail on the head. <laughs> um, which is, it, uh, I suppose when, with something like Doctor Who that is quite forward-looking and it has ventured into the near future a few times, occasionally it's got it right, Gallifrey and the Fearmonger, occasionally it's... Not so much, you know. We're not recording this on a space wheel, are we? For example, yeah, we're not on Mars. Um, uh, no, yes, um, and you know we can't team out to record this in person. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's uh, the the sips the sixties had such optimism for the future; it really did. You know, the space year two thousand, and we've got team at and. We're all over space and yeah. we can control the weather from the moon. and Just like like sort of ambition and optimism about how far technology would advance, but also that like political human side, that it was, it was optimistic that the assumption was that the future will be a utopia. But then you look at, you know, not just Doctor Who, but like science fiction in general. Um, since then, it's much more kind of veering towards the future is going to just be increasingly awful. And, yeah, uh, and it's. I think Doctor Who does do not necessarily failing societies, but flawed societies incredibly well. Yeah, um, because you know the Doctor does fight against flaws in society, and it's the kind of battle that you can't necessarily always win. And I think Gallifrey's a very good extension of that, because um, at the end of the day. The core of it is Romana is a very liberal president trying to sort of modernise a very conservative society. And uh, there's a lot of kickback against that to the point where it becomes a completely impossible job. Yeah, um, like flawed and, flawed, and, flawed and complex is definitely one of the strengths of Gallifrey and I think like a feature of good science fiction in general because... If you if you had like the perfect Star Trek universe where there was literally no crime and no conflict, 
um, that's not very interesting. But then if you've got like completely the, the other end where everything is completely hellish and awful, um, that doesn't really have any shades of grey in it either. But then exactly like you said, Gallifrey's got that bit in the middle of well-intentioned, complex people trying to do the right things, but being frustrated or failing or hitting barriers and um, coming up against problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll leave the first three series of Gallifrey there. I mean, we've both agreed that they're just excellent and thoroughly entertaining. And if anyone listening to this hasn't heard them at all, please go and get hold of them. They are some of the best drama you will ever, ever hear. It's interesting to see sort of the depiction of Romana and Leela struggling in a universe that no longer has the Doctor in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's, I mean, there are so many characters, because the ensemble is so big, there are so many characters we haven't even mentioned. You know, you've got characters like Hallen and Genatis and um, is Elbon, the surgeon, um, yeah. I think, that keep popping up again. And that they're all absolutely brilliant characters who have their own motivations ideas and they will switch sides and this minor character switching side will completely influence you know what goes on later uh it's thoroughly good stuff who's the um, harry mod type s- figure like the the sort of con man oh uh, arcadian yes yeah um yeah yeah I, 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 who's in the first episode and sort of reappears a few times throughout yeah absolutely excellent there are some really strong characters in this um let's jump forward a little bit then because obviously we're discussing gallifrey now because there is a new set and indeed the beginning of a new era coming from big finish in the near future it's entirely possible it'll come out on the same day as this episode or a day before or after so we're hoping we've got our timing right um, it is a new era, but it's continuing the Time War story. Um, so uh, just another spoiler warning, really. We're going to be talking about Gallifrey Time War briefly for the next 10 minutes or so. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the Time War sets. I think they started off a little bit uncertain and they were perhaps not entirely sure where they wanted to go. Um, you know, we had a master episode and we had a, a Braxiatel episode and then Braxiatel seemingly disappeared. Uh, and we lost Leela as well, which was sort of quite big and significant. Um, Leela was lost to the Time War and at the time we assumed she was lost to it for quite a while until she met up with the War Doctor. Um, but I think one of the smartest things the Time War, Gallifrey Time War sets did, was actually bring Leela back um, towards the end of the third set. Uh, and that third set ended on a massive cliffhanger, which, I'm going to spoil it, uh, Romana appeared to be exterminated. Um, and we thought that was it. Did you think that was it when you heard it? Did you kind of think okay, this is the time war, anyone's head is on the block, and Romana has just been exterminated. Did you think that was the last we'd saw of her? Possibly, but then I wasn't hugely surprised when Leela came back, because I feel like, yes, Gallifrey is a big extended cast, and potentially like you know anyone could, could die or disappear. But I feel like Romana and Leela and maybe Narvin as well are like... They are what they are. The core characters. They it, it wouldn't quite feel right without them around in some form. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I agree with you that you know the core of Gallifrey is that trio of characters, uh, and I have to admit it's the one thing that I'm a little apprehensive about going into these new war room sets is Time War Four kind of. It gave Romana an ending that could be the complete ending of her story. Like, she doesn't actually need to pop up in the Hooniverse again. Yeah. And that's her done. And it was... It's disappointing, but at the same time, it's a fairly satisfying 
end to that character in some ways. Uh, she's not in any of the promotion for War Room at all. Um, so whether she'll come back ever or not, I think is quite a big, big question mark at this point. Has Leela been mentioned? Leela's yeah. definitely in it. Okay. Uh, and after the initial announcement, we got that um, Narvin was coming back to it as well. Because, I mean, okay, so they could be behind the scenes somewhere, but we don't see any of them in Day of the Doctor or End of Time or uh, or any of the other big finished Time War stuff. So, yeah, it does feel like there needs to be a point where their stories have an ending, even if we go and dip back into, like, you know, with, with additional stories and previous eras in future. It feels like there needs to be an end point rather than just extending it indefinitely. I agree. Now, War Room does look like it's got a sort of nice ensemble cast uh, sort of lined up for it, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. It's full of established characters, and some of these were established in the Time War sets. Some have been established in sort of other ranges of Time War sets as well. Um, so we've got Leela as our lead. Uh, we've got Ken Bones as the general. So another yeah. character from TV and has done some other big finish stuff as well. Um, we've got Narvin coming back in at least one episode that we know about. Uh, we've got Alistra. Uh, we've got the Carolyn Pickles Alistra, who has apparently been sort of reverted back to that regeneration. Because uh, sadly, we no longer have Jacqueline Pierce with us. Yeah. Uh, Vecklin's in it. Rasmus is in it. Um, so yeah, it's it's starting off with a sort of mission statement of look, you know, we have got an ensemble here, and as we've mentioned a few times, that is one of the strengths of Gallifrey. It's the fact that it's about a lot of characters. Um, it yeah, it does kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like maybe part of the attraction, but it does also mean that it feels like there's a lot of um, like homework or background listening to be done to like fully get who all those supporting characters are like i'm sure they'll hopefully do it in a way that it's self-contained and you you can understand who they are without having heard every single other gallifrey story but there are so many time war ranges where those characters pop up um that like a part of me would feel like oh am i missing some important point or some important element if i don't if i'm not up to date with everything else and I, I have to admit, that's something that I do struggle with. With, I mean, big finishes, time war releases in general. Um, it's is the, is this new Gallifrey series going to bring a little bit more of sort of connectivity between them? It is drawing characters in from various different ranges. Uh, Rasmus has appeared in uh, the Eighth Doctor Time War, and um. Vecklin was in Susan's War, and did she pop up in some of the John Hurt ones as well? I can't remember Probably. off the top of my head. You know, Alistra's been in various releases all over. A lot of these are characters that are quite well established now, you know, who've been around at Big Finish for a good five-plus years. I think Vecklin first appeared in Doom Coalition, which feels like a long time ago now. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but... The big question is, as you say, is how interconnected are these sets and actually how much do you need to get from other sets to fully enjoy this one? Um, we've got Richard Armitage's Rassilon as well, who was established in Gallifrey Time War 4. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd kind of like to know where this is going. Are we looking at sort of big finishes, Time War equivalent of the MCU, for example? Uh, or is it all still a little bit more separate and not quite as interlinked? And I suppose the nature of the concept of a time war means that it could be both and neither. <laughs> but I like to think that the fact that all of these characters are being brought together from different releases and different ranges, I do like to think that maybe War Room could be our Avengers, as it were. Um, it'd be good to give it like some shape like that because otherwise it just feels like you've got all these 
like I, I really like some of the Warmaster stuff, but it feels a bit like you've got this huge, like amorphous slump of time war, time war stories that kind of sit there. So yeah, kind of like Avengers type event to like really bring things together sounds like a, a nice idea. I love yeah, that idea. it's maybe that's what it's going to be. Maybe that's not what it's going to be. Um, but at We've certainly never had a a definitive Time War range, you know, the, the Keystone range, I suppose it is. We've got lots and lots of Time War stories floating around. We've got two Doctors in there. We've got Susan in there. We've got Gallifrey in there. We've got the Master. Um, and, yeah, it, it, would be, it would be nice to see just a little bit more sort of cohesion between all of these yeah. things. And perhaps War Room is the series to do that. Um, I certainly hope so. I, I've, I've got high hopes for it. Like I say, the only thing that I'm apprehensive about going in is no Romana. And I think Romana is an essential part of Gallifrey. I wouldn't be surprised if she's back. But like, I guess that's my hope of like bring her back somehow. But have something that really rounds off the stories of Narvin, Romana... Uh, and Leela. And I think a nice way to do that might be have the Doctor come back in, because Gallifrey has stood on its own as its own thing, as we've said for the last hour. Like, it's totally distinct and has its own identity. But if we are getting into the Time War, that feels like the point at which to bring in either the late Eighth Doctor or early War Doctor and have them be around for whatever climax or finale rounds off those Gallifrey characters. Yeah, and the other thing is you ultimately sort of have to question how much is Gallifrey, the series, going to get out of the Time War? Uh, by the time War Room's done, we will have had eight box sets <laughs> um, about Gallifrey Time War, which is, you know, quite a lot. It's, what, 32 adventures? It, it's 32 episodes, I should say. Um what next? Because there are other periods in Gallifrey's history that would be sort of interesting to look into. I've uh, I've always quite liked the idea of them exploring Gallifrey between the events of Day of the Doctor and Hellbent. Sort of that hiding at the end of the universe. Rassilon's still there and in charge, but obviously it's not as secure as it was. And, you know, the at the end of time has happened and there's how the another... master gets out. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, we know that a master, be it John Sim or be it Missy, uh, Michelle Gomez, Missy escapes. and So, yeah, it's I'm very, very curious as to what happens in that era of Gallifrey. So I do like to think that maybe they would move the story forward um, after the war room sets. Um, and as I've already said in this episode, I'd have no problem with it going back to pre-Time War as well. I, I don't know if it destroys the mystery too much, but you could even go like right back to like ancient Gallifrey and do something, do something there just for something completely different. A nice big rustle on vampire war. I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> just like the more. The more spin-off media they can attach to State of Decay, the better. It's <laughs> absolutely dripping with, I hate this word, but it's dripping with lore, that story. is. There's <laughs> so much that can be extrapolated from it. Um, so, yeah, let's let's just use State of Decay as a, a spin-off goldmine. I'm all it, for it. Would, it. It, would, it would, like, pin things down in terms of, like, whether Rassilon was a good guy initially or was morally ambiguous back then but you could still play with it or you could have like an unreliable narrator who's, who's telling the story and maybe it's told from a certain point of view yeah and you know you can have omega as a character and various others as well and yeah it could be very interesting and it's yeah it could destroy the mystery perhaps but it wouldn't be the first time that even tv doctor who let alone spin-off media has kind of dented away a little bit of the mystery of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want um I think which is apparently the spin off that Russell C. Davis shot down, like um Teenage the Doctor uh, at the Academy. 
I, I wouldn't want that. But yeah, going right back into the ancient history of the planet would be interesting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think that is all we've got time for, but it's been thoroughly interesting discussing Gallifrey with you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I love talking about it. I could talk about it for absolutely hours. <laughs> um, let's come back and talk about sort of series four to eight sometime, though, and maybe we'll do a Time War episode as well. Um, yeah, it'd be quite nice to cover the rest of it because it, it's, it's the range that a new release excites me the most. Uh, from Big Finish um, and I'm sort of really glad that in the next week or two I'm going to hear more Gallifrey which is something that was a little bit uncertain for quite a while um, so yeah it's been great so thank you very very much for joining me Mansoor and uh, yeah, thank you let's, let's do more Gallifrey soon alright thank you goodbye now